You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage, and we're here for our Cardinals draft wrap-up. We're going to discuss the last two prospects taken on day three. We're going to also take a look at the Cardinals draft as a whole, assign out our final draft grades. Before we go any further, my name is Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Joined as always by my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable. And John, we are just wrapping up the uh, what feels like the last sporting event in uh, a long time, and it perhaps will be the last sporting event for at least a while longer for the most part. So uh, let's talk about the last few picks in the draft before we get to that. Uh, anything that stands out to you at all about the 2020 20 draft as a whole, whether it was the process, the looking into the player rooms, maybe some of the uh, interesting at-home concerts that we saw. What was your perspective on the draft this year in a very unusual year due to the coronavirus? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I'll, I'll bang the drum with any, everybody else that's kind of criticizing the gloom and doom of uh, a lot of the draftees' history within their family. Um, I think there's a time and place for that, but I also think, you know, it, they felt like they were reaching at certain points throughout the duration of the three days. Um, but I, I really love how they highlight the kids. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad. You know, you look at the, the house parties they were having with just four or five people in comparison to, you know, packing living rooms and, and having, you know, big time bashes when your name gets called. I mean, that I'm sure that was lacking, but they still got their moment. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the Cardinals Hall. I think I mentioned this on Twitter that this feels like for the first time in a long time, every one of these draft picks has a chance to not only make the team, but serve a role. Like I can see a definitive role for all of these players this year. And that's not something I've been able to say in years prior. I've seen guys get picked, and I'm not a scout, but just at the end of the day, I'm like, that doesn't seem like the best fit, even on day three. But, man, I'm looking at, of course, Isaiah Simmons. He's going to play a vital role in this defense, hopefully for the next decade plus. Josh Jones, right tackle the future. The two defensive linemen you took on on the start of day three, you know, at the very least, both those guys are going to have rotational roles. The Cardinals are not good enough on defense on the front seven on the defensive line to not have them play a part. And then the two individuals they drafted in the sixth and seventh round, I think both have a role, even if it's on special teams, Blake. Absolutely. The uh, first of their, uh, I guess, the final two picks would go to a lot of Cardinals fans were cheering and wanting Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State. Uh, he was the 10th rated running back, according to Dane Brugler. He actually ended up for me, he was probably at least in the top uh, 12 or so. And then as far as the Cardinals' interest, I know that the guy that they were looking at a little bit after Zach Moss went was Darrington Evans, but he went, I believe, after the faux two pick. Uh, instead, they end up taking Evan Weaver, the linebacker, out of Cal. And this is at least a fun pick because it's it's as someone who watches like Pac-12 football whenever it's you know not on the Pac-12 network, which is rarely ever. Uh, he was at least a fun player to watch because as far as your old school football players are uh, known. He is a tackler who outperformed and outproduced pretty much anyone else in the class when it came to making tackles, being able to wrap up, which was probably one of the things that when you're talking about last year with the Cardinals that they didn't really have with a lot of their depth players. Like, uh, God bless, you know, like Dennis Gardeck and the work that he does on special teams. Same with Joe Walker being able to fill in. But at the end of the day, neither of those guys were essentially effective or efficient tacklers. Uh, Weaver had a total of, if you want to count it, 412 tackles in his collegiate career, including 182 in his final senior year. Um, he looks like one of those guys, like straight out of, you, you know, you talk about your Larry Wilson <laughs> age Cardinals in the 1960s. Uh, almost like the Leatherheads. It's like kind of how he looks, at least, which I think is fascinating. Um, he's not at least the most fluid athlete in coverage. He's just more of one of those dudes who's a big guy. He's 237. He's 6'2". You're talking about a guy who's more compact. Not going to be the fastest guy in the world. Still ran a 4.76. And um, he's a guy who at least essentially is able to use his smarts to be able to diagnose, um, is able to be a reliable tackler. And he also brings the boom, which... 
when you're talking about a guy who at least loves to play the game, has a little bit of a violent edge. Now, uh, one criticism some people had is he may get there a little too soon in the NFL, or maybe you'd call for, you know, a defensive pass interference, or, you know, sometimes they'd have a 15... Uh, it was a 15-yard violation, at least, for unnecessary roughness. That was one concern in his scouting profile. Uh, but as far as when you're talking about a special teams player, a guy who can knock the ball loose, being able to use smarts, just being in the right place at the right time, I think, is super important. I don't think that he's a guy who's – some people have said he may be a future starter at the position. I think that he'd be more of like your back of the end of the roster linebacker because I don't think he's the type of athlete the Cardinals are looking for as a starter – but I think that the fact that he's going to be one of those gritty, go-after-it guys, you're going to be talking about a guy who replaces Joe Walker is probably going to be as reliable, if not more reliable. He's able to bring you something on special teams. And when you're talking about the way the Cardinals' defense plays, where they have Jordan Hicks as your tackler up the middle, allowing their will or weak side linebacker to move around. In this case, it'll be Isaiah Simmons, who gets to kind of float around. If he goes down due to an injury, you're at least going to know you'll have a guy who might not be, like, you know, making interceptions at least, but he's going to be in the right place at the right time, and he'll be there to make the tackle, which is what Jordan Hicks' role has been in this defense. So as a result, John, it's hard to see a negative aspect for me for this pick in the sixth round outside of, you know, your the lack of athleticism. Yeah, you know, I tweeted it out. The Cardinals somehow came away with the Pac-12 and the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and they were both uh, linebackers, and I believe he was a Buckus finalist as well, that being Evan Weaver on, uh, and then, of course, the eventual winner came to the Cardinals' first-round pick, that being Isaiah Wilson, or Isaiah Simmons, I should say. Um, but yeah, Weaver, it kind of came out of nowhere. We figured, you know, they got Devondre Campbell, Simmons is going to take snaps, um, Jordan Hicks is, you know, the unquestioned kind of leader of that inside linebacking group. And then now you get a kid that's, I think is a complete wild card. Um, Jim Nagy, of course he is Mr. Senior Bowl, right? He had him at the senior bowl. So take this maybe with a little bit of a grain of salt, but he, he picked his best day three picks specifically for the NFC West. And he, he highlighted Weaver saying he's the most instinctive and productive linebacker in the entire draft. Better competitive closing speed than give it credit for. And I think that's true. I think we look at him as kind of like an in-the-box, two-down linebacker that's a little bit of a throwback. But he did run a 4-7. I mean, he's not slow. Last guy that needs a chip on the shoulder, and now he's got one. Don't bet against him as a starting middle linebacker by year two, which, I mean, if that happens, it's either something's gone terribly right or something's gone terribly wrong when it comes to Isaiah Simmons. But... Maybe there's a scenario in which they can all be on the field together in the, in the in a perfect world. But but listen, I mean, we've seen inside linebackers go late in the draft and have productive careers become starters because at the end of the day, you, either, you can tackle or you can't. You can read defenses, move sideline to sideline. And he's got sound technique, but I, I think you're right. Like, I think at the end of the day, he's somebody that's going to be an, an ace special teamer. He's probably going to be just consistent depth uh, behind Hicks, behind Campbell, behind Isaiah Simmons, um, and he's somebody that you're going to want in your locker room. Somebody that's not going to let guys, you know, feel sorry for themselves. Somebody that's going to feel, I think, very privileged to be on an NFL roster, not take it for granted. And again, this is this is kind of the the end of the day. It's the it's the compare and contrast what we feel like today's modern NFL linebacker is the prototype, which could very well be Isaiah Simmons. I've seen that written multiple times. Throughout the duration of this draft process, Simmons, 6'4", 240, lean, 4'3", speed, huge hands, huge wingspan, can do it all, right? Can cover the pass. Then you've got this 6'2", 235 prospect tackling machine in Evan Weaver from Cal that was overlooked by everybody, that just goes about his business. You know, I hate this cliche saying, but it's a lunch pail mentality, right? Led the country with 182 tackles and 13 starts, including a 103 solo tackles, more than the 20, uh, more uh, than 20 of the second-place finishers. So he, had, he he won that by a landslide. Um, a couple sacks in the process, of course, uh, three forced fumbles. So I mean, he's got a nose to, for for tackling the ball carrier. So I'm anxious to see. I think we're going to know pretty quickly when we watch him in the preseason if he can play or not, if he belongs. And I, I lean toward the latter. I think he is going to have a spot on this team. I think they need players to fill out special teams like this. You need to find your next Justin Bethel, Bethel your next ace special teamer, although they're, they're a little bit different. 
Um, so I was I was happy to see that, but I also think it goes to show you that man, they just they were so soft last year, the last two years with this defense that they are just throwing the kitchen sink to see what sticks, Blake. Oh, yeah, totally. Like you, you described the um, kind of almost opposite of a Isaiah Simmons as far as athleticism is concerned. I would go a little different direction. I think it's more of the opposite of what we've come to know from a Hassan Reddick. Whereas Reddick was the guy who came out who was the physical freak, the tweener. Yeah, great the point. Guy, the guy who essentially was kind of grandfathered into the Cardinals position and, you know, unfortunately just didn't have the same type of instincts or gap integrity. Like, this would be kind of one of Steve Wilkes, like, you know, type of guys with the Josh Bynes. Uh, I think it's a little too high of a, or maybe too lofty to kind of compare to one of the all-time Cardinals greats in Pat Tillman, who was a late-round pick who went there. So I, I would put him as more of, like, he's going to probably either become – the next type of a Ron Wolfley, or maybe Ron Wolfley's favorite player, like your favorite broadcaster's favorite player. And I think, John, he's going to make at least one big splash play in the preseason uh, just yeah. to be able to kind of let people know, hey, I'm here, whether it's a forced fumble, whether it's, you know, they're trying a screen pass and he just blows up the back and breaks up the pass. He's that type of player. And what I love also is that he demands accountability from his teammates is what the scouting report says on him, which I think is fantastic because if you can get one of those kind of rah-rah leadership guys, you know, you're, you're your best case scenario for your worst case scenario for him is the athleticism doesn't translate. You're just like, all right, it's a sixth round pick at least. You hope that the guy is able to catch on. Maybe he can, you know, still catch on as a depth role. Most people, their praise of him is so high enough. I don't feel like that's going to be the case, John. I wonder if this is a potential at best case. You know, if this is a future special teams captain type. Yeah. That would be what you're hoping for. And then a person you could fill in. Uh, obviously, I, I lean a little more on the safer side <laughs> that I go with uh, that idea. And obviously, you know, being the director of the Senior Bowl, he's always going to promote his guys. Um, his last year, essentially what he did is he lost 15 pounds by focusing heavily on his diet. And he hasn't even hit an NFL type of weight training program yet. You're talking about a guy who played at Cal. So I'll be very curious if there's going to be at least another type of change where maybe he's going to be one of those linebackers who, to get a little bit faster, is going to end up weighing a little lighter than Vince Joseph may prefer with his 230. But, hey, if he's able to do that and hit harder, that's, I think, what you're looking for. And uh, then it comes to the final pick, John. So we've talked about the Cardinals going through the first two days of the draft. You had three big needs entering the offseason. You had to cover the tight end problem. You got Isaiah Simmons. You had to be able to bring an outside weapon in for Kyler Murray. Hey, you brought in DeAndre Hopkins for a second in David Johnson's contract. And hey, you even got a pick that you got to use on Rashad Lawrence out of it. And then you got your tackle of the future, maybe even of the now, in Josh Jones falling all the way to round three. That allowed you to take those two defenders in the next round without having to trade up. You got your linebacker depth that you sorely needed after Joe Walker left. The only thing that the Cardinals really needed, John, that they came in, we, we talked a lot about how much they really love Zach Moss, was a third running back who had upside of being able to be either a, you know, able to start if needed, back up, just that type of third running back to be able to join the room, having to have um, enough fit in the scheme, enough able to catch passes to be able to be a third down back, being able to be a willing special teamer. And a guy who I had pegged that the Cardinals could look potentially if they didn't get Moss at 72, they could take him over in the hundreds. He fell all the way to their final pick, pick 222, is Eno Benjamin, the local kid out of Arizona State, originally from Wiley, Texas. And John, uh, funny thing about all this, this is another guy that Cliff Kingsbury in his days recruited to play for him at Texas Tech, chose instead to go to Arizona State, ends up as one of their most productive running backs with a total of a 1,000-yard back-to-back seasons, had a 5.0 yards per carry average, finished with 27 touchdowns, and as far as in the passing game, he averaged about 8.3 yards a catch, Falls all the way to the seventh round. This is the pick a lot of fans were waiting for, hoping for. And then when it finally happened, it was just one of those things where it felt like that was the uh, kind of, I guess you'd talk it like the, it was kind of the little cap, the perfect little cap, the perfect little mic drop to be able to get fourth round value all the way at the end of the seventh round for Steve Kime and the Cardinals. What were your thoughts on the Eno Benjamin pick, John? I'm skeptical anytime because, you know, I don't live in Arizona. For those of you who don't know, I didn't go to, to an Arizona college, um, Arizona-based college. Um, and so half of the time, my timeline is, is blown up with either Arizona or Arizona State, um, paraphernalia, lingo, whatever, right? Players that, that the Cardinals should take because they went to X University locally. And I get the, the appeal 
um, of that. You want to see the local kid do well with the pro team, right? But I'm always very skeptical of that because, you know, at the end of the day, that, that rarely works out. Um, but I had made a point to watch a fair amount of Eno um, because I didn't, fair warning, I didn't watch a ton of Arizona State football last year. Um, and so, uh, I, I, yeah, he is a... I, this is how uh, this is an unbiased opinion. So take it for what you will, because I don't have a dog in this 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 uh, or a horse in this race. Unlike my counterpart who went to Arizona State, um, uh, he's an NFL running back with with starting capabilities, and I think that's. I mean, to get that in the the seventh round. Listen, running back is the easiest position to transition to in the NFL. I think you combine that with. The, the running back position has never been more devalued. So I think that played a factor in, in him falling. I think the, the the strength of this class was receiver and offensive line. I think that contributed to the running backs falling. And I also think that Cliff Kingsbury and his scheme and the, the presence of Kyler Murray, any young, capable running back can come in and have success. And he he is more than he more than fits that that criteria for me. Um Tremendous out of the backfield catching the football. I pulled up a stat on that I saw on Twitter. The last, let me see if I can find it here. Only three running backs in the in the draft class had a thousand yards plus rushing and caught more than forty passes this year. One was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that's going to be a superstar in Kansas City. One was somebody named Jason Huntley from New Mexico State, and then of course the third being Eno Benjamin from Arizona State. So you know he's going to fit in this offense because he can catch the football fluidly. His his yards per carry was fantastic. You know the numbers: sixteen hundred yards rushing. But then you you put the highlights on, and again I know majority of you guys have seen it, but but have seen the highlights. But humor me. It's not only that he was productive and the, the stats are there, but then you watch the tape and it's broken tackle, lateral cuts, making people miss, spin moves. I mean, it's it's aggressive running for for a man that's I say only only five nine, two what two twenty two ten two oh seven yeah he's not even two ten yeah so so he's he's tiny for NFL standards. All I know is Mel Kiper said it was his favorite pick in the seventh round. Uh, John Middlecoff, who covers West Coast teams, said that, you know, I don't care what the numbers say. He's going to be Arizona's backup running back. He's going to be making plays on Sunday. When, when you know, needle movers in the NFL call out a Pacific prospect. And all we heard in, um, in and around Twitter toward the end of the, the day on, on Saturday was that, why is he still available? Well, I don't Blake, you might be able to share some insight. I, I don't know the reason for that, other than the position has been devalued. But I I, I think 100% he will move ahead of DJ Foster on the depth chart. And again, I put this out on Twitter. You know, Drake's on a one-year contract. They haven't extended him. They probably won't at this point, um, but they could. But I don't. what's the rush, right? And Chase Edmonds we like, but got hurt last year, and he's got two years left on his deal. I mean, I, I think the best way to go about putting, putting together your running back core is to, to invest mid to late round picks on the position. Because, I mean, look at San Francisco. I know that that's the model right now. But look what they did in, the, in, the, in route to their Super Bowl run. They were using practice squad guys. They were using undrafted free agents. They made a star out of Matt Breda. I, I, Raheem Moister, or whatever his name is, ran for over like 200 yards against the Packers. I mean, most of the time, it's... Can the coach scheme up runs, and is the guy the anti-David Johnson? I think what we saw with David Johnson last year is he couldn't move laterally, laterally anymore. The quickness was gone. The explosiveness was gone. And he was just kind of a plotter, right? He was kind of like what Edger and James had become toward, the, toward his time in Arizona. Eno is the opposite of that, um, and I think that it's very fitting. The last seventh-round pick that's, that's made any kind of impact for this team was Larod Stevens-Howling. Not that they're the same kind of player, but I just think that it's a wise investment to go running back in the seventh because you know there's a good chance that that person can contribute and contribute early. Yeah, like the the thing about with Eno is there's a reason why a lot of ASU fans wanted him. Obviously, the personal approach is a nice touch. The uh, Cardinals have not drafted a player from Arizona State. They've had players from there, but they've not drafted a player since they took Pat Tillman in the seventh round all those years ago. And the fact that you know Benjamin even spoke out with how much he was floored by it shows a lot of the character and understanding. I mean, you know, it's a guy who essentially gets to go from this uh, entire legacy that you've seen that Tillman created 
to the next place, kind of almost that next step in your evolution, at least. And, and a lot of those cases, I think that he's going to be a fan favorite. But I think he's going to actually, like you said, John, I think that he's going to earn it and he's going to deserve it. You look at the guy where there's some of the highlight plays he makes. He ran over a linebacker in uh, the Oregon game, Troy Dye, who went several rounds ahead of him. <laughs> he ran over his new teammate, Evan Weaver, for a touchdown in the game. You just look at the player and the... The fit that he has is excellent for the Cardinals. Like, he ran in kind of the uh, out of shotgun a lot. Even during his junior year, the Cardinals had a freshman quarterback. Benjamin oftentimes would help him with the calls at the line from his experience and being able to see just the smarts that the player had. He does fit very well, I think, with what James Saxon wants to do. David Johnson was not that type of running back, not that type of runner. You'll see the up-the-middle action from him, and then you'll also see kind of the highlight plays that seems to sum up who Emo Benjamin is. He starts to run, sees that there's a lane, cuts it to the outside, makes a man miss in open space, and then he's a finisher. He goes and he drove back one of the linebackers who's like, you know, he's he's 207. This is, we're talking about a guy who's like 6'4", 240, drives him and a safety coming in them both back into the end zone and gets the touchdown. That's the type of person that he brings, and as far as the reason why he fell to the seventh round, it's probably a variety of issues. A lot of the running backs that teams I think were looking for earlier were ones that were going to be, hey, this is the guy who fits our scheme, our style, more of the one-cut type runners, not looking for as much of the creators. He did have an ankle injury, I know, where he missed, I think, a, a game, a couple games in 2017, but he did have to have some surgery. He was at the Senior Bowl this year, and uh, a lot of teams at least got to talk to him, liked him. Sometimes, John, you just, you're not sure exactly why a guy falls. The biggest thing I think you could say is there was a premium put on finding guys who were the big backs this year or finding guys who you essentially at Kansas City, they took a guy who was going to be a downfield pass catcher in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who fit their system very well. It feels like a lot of the teams, at least this year, were trying to model in the San Francisco 49ers mold. So what I like about this pick here is it falls very much in the Arizona Cardinals type of mold where you're talking about Cliff Kingsbury, what they're looking for as far as a player. And I think he's a guy who, like you said, John, if Kenyon Drake was gone from this team tomorrow, I think between him and Chase Edmonds, you'd be able to put them both out there and have an efficient, effective run Absolutely. Game. And I think I'm excited to be able to see what will happen because you're talking about that type of value that you're able to get. The pro player comparison that makes the most sense when you're looking at the style, the pass catching, uh, the ability to essentially not necessarily be like the bell cow back, let's say, for you know three to four seasons, but being able to spell, be a rotational guy is your best who can take over and be the lead back if needed for a few games, is Duke Johnson. And to me, that's almost exactly who Eno Benjamin is. And so if you're talking about getting a Duke Johnson type guy in the seventh round, that is crazy good value. And that kind of is what the story of this draft was, John, I think, was the Cardinals sticking to their board and their plan and finding excellent value with their picks. Eno Benjamin being perhaps one of the best values we've seen in the entire draft for maybe any team. I think you can. I think you could say the, the best two value picks were Josh Jones at 72 and then Eno in the seventh round. Um, Isaiah Simmons, we love the player, um, and I think that he was one of the top five players in this draft, but I think people will always argue um, positional value with inside linebackers or safety hybrids. They're not qu the quintessential pass rusher, although we think he can rush the passer. I mean, he's just in a special category. He's not a quarterback, left tackle, you know, number one corner, um, and so I would put him just a tick lower barely but behind um just in terms of value i mean Eno had he thought he was going to go day two um now everybody thinks highly of themselves on draft weekend and hopes to go high but he you know i, th I think most people had an early day three grade on him and then josh jones had a top 30 grade and went 72 so um you know you lump those three individuals together and i'll include simmons i they're going to get three impact players i think by year two um, and that's not to say the, dude, the two D tackles and Evan Weaver aren't going to be impact players. We don't know. But I don't think that's the expectation. I think the expectation is for Eno Benjamin to potentially be a part of this, this offense as early as year one. I mean, we've seen guys like Tim Hightower and Andre Elton come in and have legitimate roles as, as rookies, right, as late-round rookies. Um, and then Josh Jones eventually going to, to be the heir apparent at right tackle, and then Simmons is going to play a ton of defensive snaps. So, you know, I just this is, this, is, this is why Kime is so keen on having as many draft picks as possible. It's why he hoards draft picks um, and why it was so great to see him utilize them, we think, correctly for, for the for – the, 
one time in in the last how many years outside of last year. Um, we, we feel good about the value that he's gotten, but then he wasn't afraid to make a move that needed to be made in free agency when dealing a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. So you have to have that balance. I mean, the Cardinals had what, like double digit draft picks last year and really only Kyler Murray made an impact, a positive impact. Um, and so it's, it's kind of hit or miss. You want as many swings at the plate as you can, because there's of course a better chance you're going to hit on some guys. But I also think there's something to be said Running backs hit more often than not because the position translates well in the NFL. So why not go with a running back later on because the hit value is higher? I don't know the percentage. Um, Same with defensive tackles. You know big body men, there are only so many on the planet that can come in and move other people. And so doubling up on them makes sense. Linebackers, being able to tackle, that translates well into the NFL. Whereas positions like offensive line, corner that are so reliant on technique not that the other positions aren't but just quarterback edge rusher tackle number one corner you just see those positions are prioritized earlier right and then you've got the freaks like Isaiah Simmons that belong in the top 10 because of their tape and their measurables and everything else so you know I'm just happy that that Kime has taken this approach in the draft and I hope he continues it you know moving forward Blake yeah, it feels like this was the draft that seemed to, in a lot of ways, I think maybe establish the cardinal way, I guess you could call it. Every single guy who was drafted this year was a productive team captain out of a major school. We didn't have any small schools this year. John, the smallest school that we had was Houston. And, and when you're talking about schools as far as for that one, that's still a Dana Holgerson coach team. Like, It's not like you're talking about like you know this little tiny school in the middle of nowhere. You're talking about a guy who's been all the way with teams like with West Virginia, who grew up in the air raid offense, um, who had Cliff's former coach that was there. It's not like you're talking about that this is like a small school. This is a, a cardinal way where you took a lot of these guys who were – in some cases, maybe you could say safe prospects. Uh, the biggest risk that they took, honestly, is probably with their first pick overall in Isaiah Simmons, just because a lot of teams didn't know exactly how they would move. But you took those guys, the guys who every single one of them had outstanding things uh, preached about their character. There was no Kandichis that were drafted this year where it's like, okay, he's got a bit of an edge. We can kind of soften out those spots. You didn't even have any, I'd say, Hassan Reddick types this year where you've got a guy who, you know, is going to be. Uh, move to a brand new, totally different spot. Every single player they talked about it in the Cardinals, they're all going to say, hey, whatever they did good in college, whatever they're going to do, that's what they're going to do with us. And that's, I think, encouraging. We'll see how that plays out, obviously, on the field. But in a lot of ways, John, I felt like this was kind of a return to form for the team. And um, I think that's one of the things that's most encouraging for me um, to be able to look at is because like we talked about, we wanted to see the Cardinals go out and essentially take a lot of the different previous mistakes they had made or different ideas like, hey, let's go ahead and take this Chad Williams guy who didn't go to the combine. We think that he could have been maybe an athlete who was better. He had off-field stuff, sure, but you know what? We'll take this guy on because we understand him. You talk about going and taking a pick like a Brandon Williams in the third round who had spent one year playing at cornerback, had been a, a crazy freak athlete, but just did not have the experience and had been a running back previously and trying to get him to switch a position. What I loved about this draft was it was the Cardinals, like you said, a bread and butter type of draft um, or a meat and potatoes type of draft. I could say not even bread and butter. Meat and potatoes where you're just getting these type of guys who you've got uh, the needs are filled and now you're drafting for depth. And all of those guys at some point, John, are maybe not going to make an immediate or outright impact, but they're going to at least help this team win and take that next step next year. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a safe draft by any means. And I've gotten asked, you know, on Twitter and and, and via our our outlets that, you know, what what does this draft need to be to be successful? What does it need to look like, I should say? Isaiah Simmons needs to become a Pro Bowl linebacker for this draft, I think, to be successful. Um, You've got Hopkins. You know what Hopkins is. He's a known commodity, but you're going to have to pay um, DeAndre Hopkins as well. Now, there's a chance he flames out, he gets hurt. I mean, there's always a chance of that, but I think he's a pretty safe bet. But when you are in a position where you're trying to take advantage of Kyler Murray's rookie salary cap window, you've got a top 10 pick, you've got needs in a lot of different places, um, and maybe your biggest was not linebacker uh, slash safety, you're going to take a guy that you think can be the best or top five at his position, and that's what you're speaking on um, with Isaiah Simmons. I mean, his production needs to be there. 
and we need to be hearing about, and I know this may seem early to say this, but when camp comes around, we need to hear reports about him flashing. I mean, what did we hear about Tyron Matthew when the Cardinals drafted him? He was one of the best players on defense right when he stepped on the practice field. Kyler Murray was wowing people over the course of OTAs and, and mini camp and rookie camp and everything else. We never heard that about Robert Kimdichie or Hassan Reddick, guys that were taken in the first round that not so inco- coincidentally didn't pan out. So I'm crossing my fingers, Blake, that come June, July, August, we're hearing reports that you know Isaiah Simmons not only belongs, but he's one of the biggest freaks on the team. That's what they need for this for this draft to be successful because you know what you're getting in Hopkins. If Josh Jones never develops into you know, a franchise right tackle, you know you can eat a third round pick. It's not ideal um, that you know. And then of course the day three picks, like we mentioned, those are lottery tickets. But the Cardinals need to hit on a first round pick back to back years. I posted something on Twitter earlier today. They haven't hit on back to back players. You could make an argument since Fitzgerald in 08 or 04. Larry Fitzgerald in 04, and then Antrell Roll in 2005. And Roll was a Pro Bowl player um, and then left the team. The Cardinals inexplicably let him leave, did not handle his cap uh, contract situation well because he had moved to safety, went on to have um, a Super Bowl ring with the Giants. That's the closest I can get to back-to-back hits in the first round for this team. And you know how few and far between the first-round picks have even hit. I mean, it's Patrick Peterson, it's Larry Fitzgerald, and then it's a whole lot of, eh, I don't know, not great. So Kyler Murray, step in the right direction. We need to get a trend going. The, the teams that have that trend are usually hosting the Lombardi Trophy, Blake. Yeah, I'd agree. And uh, to, before I kind of go on with that wrap-up here, I, I did want to at least say that's the biggest thing with Isaiah Simmons. I, for me, I feel more, I guess you could say, more comfortable with the pick in a lot of different ways, knowing what the Cardinals are striving for is essentially to be able to say, hey, we want to be that complete team where we don't have a gap or a weakness. I, You know, it was one of the spots where I felt like, all right, you can get by with an average defense for the most part. If Simmons can help get them to where they can take a step above being an average defense, if they'll be able to use him properly, which that was one of the comments I heard was, hey, Steve Kime just drafted a guy who may be a Todd Bowles player and you've got Vance Joseph as your DC. Uh, that's That's a great point. We'll have to see how well that Vance will be able to adapt in year two. He's got enough talent right now where from what Steve Kimes said essentially at the end of their days was, hey, Bro, you've got enough talent now. If we can't guard tight ends or if our defense looks bad, it's on you now. And that, to yeah, me, would he's, be... He's been put on notice, he's that's for sure. put on notice for that one. And we'll see at least how that will work out. Um, Just to be able to kind of, before I look at the full stake, at least, of the draft, what I'm excited for, at least, and this is just a little bit on Eno, is... He's a seventh-round pick, and when you talk about what the Cardinals have invested, you've invested a fourth in Chase Edmonds, a fifth in the trade with for Kenyon Drake. Originally, he was drafted with a third, but you took a fifth for him, and a seventh-round pick. To me, this might be the future of the Cardinals, John, where I don't know if you're going to spend these first- or second-round picks on running backs unless you're like the Kansas City Chiefs and have just won a Super Bowl. I think that this is a spot where, because of his athleticism, because of Cliff's scheme, the way the NFL is going, I think you're going to be able to find cheap production at the running back spot, and that's going to allow you to free up room in the second and the third round for some of these other players that you'll be able to bring in by being able to find backs who can pretty much start and continue and contribute right away. Yeah, and I think you can add to that that Kingsbury prioritizes receivers. They took three receivers last year. They traded a second for a receiver this year. Now, granted, it was a position of need, but I I just think that that's more of a priority, and it should be in his offense um, on top of, you know, ensuring up the offensive line, the defense is below average. I mean, they've got – so many areas that they can upgrade and it just seems like running back is so interchangeable um they just needed somebody with ability and i think had jay's edmonds not gone down last year before the trading deadline Kenyon drake is probably never a cardinal they probably just let chase edmonds run with the ones the rest of the year and david backs him up um but it was the snowball effect where chase got hurt david was ineffective and hurt and they really didn't have anybody else even capable on the roster or on the practice squad. So they went out and made a really savvy trade for Drake. 
Um, but anybody that, that is young, with fresh legs, that has ability, that can pick up Kingsbury's scheme is going to be valuable. And I think, like, every year, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with them taking a day three back every year and just keeping that pipeline moving because you know you can find players like Eno Benjamin every year that, that the draft falls to you like this. I mean, I know people are going nuts about, you know, those, all those second-round backs, like, you know, Swift to the Lions. I mean, that just... To me, that's just such a Lions play where every two years they draft a running back in the second round. I think Kime has learned from that. He's learned from these these running back contracts. Um, and he's like, I'm going to pay the people that at the end of the day are going to help me win a championship. And when you're too def- too dependent on a back, um, you know, one single player like a running back has never won a Super Bowl. It's a quarterback league. It's a pass rush league. Um, and the Cardinals are doing a nice job now evening out the resources on their roster. Um, and it started here in the draft last weekend. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The Even if the Cardinals looking at a third-round pick, at least on a running back for a, a tough player who was there, you saw the priority, John. They didn't force themselves into the running back pick. They took the guy who was the better player, who was at the position of need on the offensive line. Uh, I think it's still incredible when you're talking about uh, Eno Benjamin falling to the seventh round. Uh, he was supposed to be a day three or day four pick when you're talking about the value, or excuse me, uh, round three or round four pick when you're talking about um, his value. That to me, the first thing I thought of that made things was even crazier was when Tony Jefferson, who was a round two lock, fell all the way to being an undrafted free agent. People asked him, they were like, I don't know, like maybe he thought his coaches maybe said stuff bad about him behind his back. It just was a weird situation. It shows how special it is because even Eno, after he took that fall, got drafted. It's kind of surprising to say the only time we've ever seen something, I think, similar was the uh, Lyle Collins story when you know, he was uh, for a time a suspect in a, a murder case. And then about a week after the draft, they were like, Oh yeah, no, he's he's good. We he's just a person of interest. We needed to talk to him about that. He was cleared of you know there was nothing wrong that he did, and no one in the NFL took a shot. Didn't want to have that attached. It was I believe pretty recently after all of the Aaron Hernandez situation, which made sense. But this is a spot where the Cardinals benefited. Uh, so let's take a look at their final haul as we wrap up tonight. Here's with all of their 2020 resources. This is what the Arizona Cardinals draft class looks like. You have. Linebacker slash safety. He's even listed like that on the, on the Our Lives website. Isaiah Simmons. You've got DeAndre Hopkins, the wide receiver at 27 years old. He's still in the prime, obviously, of his career. You're going to get probably three to four at least years out of him before he hits that age 30. Josh Jones, a guy who was the Cardinals had as a top 30 player on their board, a guy who can slide right in potentially, maybe even from day one at right tackle. You've got two defensive linemen in Lecky Fotu, and you've got... Uh, Rashad Lawrence, two guys who are going to be rotational contributors. Your fifth-round pick was used on Jalen Thompson, who's currently your starting strong safety. You have a another fifth-round pick was spent to acquire Kenyon Drake uh, from the Miami Dolphins. He's your starting running back. You've got Evan Weaver, who's potentially going to be either a special teams player or a linebacker who back you up. Uh, you traded one of your sixth-round picks, this could be forgotten about, in 2018 for Jamar Taylor. He was released after two weeks with the team. <laughs> it was the one pick in the yeah, that was entire rough. draft. Let's not speak of 2018 right. again. Yeah, obviously not for that one. But that was the one case where like everything just kind of seemed like it went wrong. But the fact that you know most people had even forgotten that that was a 2020 pick tells you just how sometimes these later-round picks uh, just aren't as significant. And last, you have Eno Benjamin, a guy who the Cardinals potentially have, you know, their third string. And if Chase Edmonds at least gets banged up, your backup running back, a guy who's going to get snaps and carries this year. With all that in mind, John, it's really hard for me not to give any grade outside of here outside of an A. I don't know if you can say an A plus totally just yet. I'm certainly not going to say that this is worth an A minus. I think that the Jalen Thompson and Kenyon Drake. For me, when you include those and then also look at the pure value of Hopkins, for me, that pushes it over the top because you got three starters out of your draft. You've got potentially a fourth and a fifth in Simmons. So if you're talking about five starters out of one single draft, John, that may go down as one of the, that would be right now better than that 2004 draft that had Fitzgerald, Dockett, Dansby, and then Antonio Smith. Now, granted, you didn't have future pro bowlers like Fitzgerald or Dockett or Dansby that we know that they went on to or a Hall of Fame type of career, obviously. But you got four starters out of it at the time, and since looking back in that class, we can see how huge it was. In this class, you know, you've got at least one Hall of Fame player right now in DeAndre Hopkins that you've acquired. 
I have a hard time finding any problems right now with this, John. Now, obviously, we were raving about the Cardinals draft last year. There's a lot that we liked about the Rosen trade in 2018. Yeah, that's true. You never know how it's going to go with a lot of drafts. But right now, at least when you're looking at what the Cardinals have done, I don't think there's any fan who can have a complaint out there. And national media said the same thing. They're all giving the Cardinals A, A+, one of the top four grades, even as far as value is concerned. The Cardinals had the top-rated value draft of any team just ahead of the Dallas Cowboys for one national news source. I think that national people noticing and what's even better is seeing other NFC West fans noticing the Cardinals are going to be a problem this year. That I think is the biggest encouragement to a lot of fans during this draft season. And it's why a lot of fans are really, really hoping that we do end up getting a complete 2020 season all said and done. Yeah. And you look at, you know, specifically let's highlight the, the Kenyon Drake trade for the fifth round selection. I think both of us feel like he's going to have a big season. Let's say they let him rush for 1,300 yards and he's got, you know, 16, 1,700 all-purpose with double-digit touchdowns. And then they say, hey, you can go test the market. And he goes and gets a big-money deal elsewhere. They're going to get a comp pick that's likely going to eclipse their fifth-round pick that they used to acquire him. That's how good teams operate. Um, and then if you want to slide somebody like Chase Edmonds or Eno Benjamin into that starting job this time next year, do it. That position is interchangeable. But that's how you have to be thinking about as a you know as you're constructing your NFL roster, as you're you know taking on that mantle as general manager. You're always thinking two steps ahead. And give Kime credit. That's what he did. He, I mean, he found like you mentioned it potentially five starters in this class. Certainly three with the likes of Drake Simmons and Hopkins, and then we all feel like at some point Josh Jones is going to get a chance to sink or swim at right tackle. I think very much like Mason Cole's getting his opportunity, uh, albeit three years in, I don't think Jones is going to have to wait that long. I think by 2021 we're going to have him starting at right tackle. And then you look at anything day three that they get from that group that's, you know, they didn't have a fifth-round pick. You know, they didn't. Some some years they have multiple six, multiple sevens. Um, it was a relatively small group. You get anything from that group in terms of contributions in the next two or three years. If they finish out, I, I think I think Jess Root of uh, was it the Rise Up Red Sea podcast basically made a, a, a good point to me that these guys finish out their four years on their contract. That means they were contributors, and that's a good deal because we think the Cardinals roster is going to be you know at its height next this time next year three off seasons with Kingsbury and Kyler Murray really going all in with these resources trying to improve the team get them to Super Bowl level and if guys like Fotu and Lawrence and Evan Weaver are sticking around for three or four years that means they're doing something right because we feel like the rest of the roster is growing and, and ascending and getting better so and then of course the Jalen Thompson trade I think is is one the acquisition last year and uh, the supplemental draft they were really high on him. He got a ton of playing time. And again, unlike guys like Buddha, who had a little bit of a rookie wall, Jalen looked great toward the end of the year. He had a really nice game against Tampa. A couple standout plays against San Francisco. So just somebody, again, if he becomes your third safety, let's say Isaiah Simmons fills that role part-time, your third safety still plays a ton. Being a fifth-round pick doesn't mean much. Come in, contribute. I just think that... You know, at the end of the day, like we mentioned it, this this class is going to be made by Simmons and Hopkins, but they've already made more money on day three than they have in so many previous drafts where it felt like they were all wasted picks. So I'm excited about this group. And goodness, looking at this roster from last year to now, it's night and day, and it just gets me excited for what's to come and what I think could be a potentially a playoff season in 2020. I think and this is what I'll say at least about this as we uh, kind of get ready to close out tonight. I think that if you're talking about improvement or aiming for double-digit wins, I think that that's fair to say after the draft that's done. The reason why I think that people talk playoffs is because of the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Essentially, in a lot of different ways, you were kind of playing with house money as long as you weren't going to, you know, make some sort of dumb decision in the first round. Like if the Cardinals had traded back and then taken a, you know, Kalevon Chase on or something, we are like, I don't know if exactly where he fits for all that. I mean, we'll see who they get on day two. Then you're kind of there. But to be able to have the hype around a guy like Simmons, to be able to watch, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins highlights and, you know, recognize that the uh, Texans are having to, you know, try to make acquisitions for other slot receivers to replace him. And then you have the 
trade, at least on Jones, you were already playing with house money. The Cardinals closed out day three in a flourish. So, uh, John, let's go and kind of end tonight. What was your favorite pick that you had? And this will be including guys like Thompson or Drake. What was your favorite pick in the 2020 NFL offseason for the Arizona Cardinals? Josh Jones. It's not close. Um, I like the Simmons tr- uh, deal. I think, I think my criticism of not taking worse diminished how much I liked Isaiah Simmons how much I think he's going to be a good player for the Cardinals am I a little burned from the the Dale Buchanan Hassan Reddick experience yes but I want to believe I want to believe this is different I do believe bigger program better prospect um and I I want to have faith that Vance Joseph does him does him well I have much more confidence that Josh Jones is is going to have a better chance to develop just because of Sean Coogler that doesn't mean that I don't think Isaiah Simmons is going to be good I think he's going to be really good but Josh Jones was a top 30 prospect pro football focus had him as their fifth best tackle the Cardinals got him at pick 72 by all accounts he's got no character concerns he missed a couple games last year with injuries but he doesn't have a history of injuries he's somebody that can come in he could be your swing tackle this year he could develop into a left tackle at some point we don't know that but just having the physical tools that he has by all accounts is a good person no off the field concerns in terms of you know laziness or workout routine or anything like that checks every box had a good combine somebody that can come in played in a similar scheme at the college level has a familiarity with Kingsbury I think that's a home run pick I tweeted this out I think it could be a historic game-changing move for this team to be able to find a Pro Bowl level player at that position I think he's got Pro Bowl level talent we mentioned this after they drafted them I think he's got a higher upside than any offensive lineman that they've taken probably since Jonathan Cooper he's a better prospect coming out than DJ Humphreys that was my favorite pick. Simmons is a close second. It's it's always going to be tied to the fact that I thought they were taking uh, Tristan Wirfs there. It turns out most teams didn't like Tristan Wirfs, and it came out today as we're recording this that the Cardinals had Andrew Thomas as their favorite tackle, which was the case for, I think, most of the teams in the top 10 via this article that I saw. So I was got myself worked up over nothing. Simmons, I, I am I, it's like 1A and 1B. But I just think it's an offensive league. I want Kyler Murray to succeed. And Simmons will have a, a, a correlation to that in some regard. He's going to get the defense off the field. Playing Josh Jones at right tackle directly affects whether or not Kyler Murray is successful in the NFL. Having capable pass protectors, bookend tackles, this team has not had that in so long. And I think with the combination knock on wood of Humphreys now you know, ascending into his prime and then Josh Jones, who has just a, a super high upside, Again, it's all about value, Blake. And I think finding a, a right tackle that can be a Pro Bowl player at 72 is the antithesis of what we go into the draft hoping something like that happens. That's why we get excited for the over the course of three months, talking about scenarios, going through trade scenarios, running the trade machine, um, doing projections and mocks. It's for it's for picks like that, value picks like that. So that's my pick. Yeah, I think I'll probably have to agree with you over there. Just the fact when we were talking about offense, this is a Cardinals team last year that when you rewatch the season, and you know you can if you get NFL Game Pass, including some of the coaches' film, you get to pick up on a little extra. This is the team last season that essentially was going blow for blow with the San Francisco 49ers, especially in their second game of the season where they got off to a big lead. Uh, obviously, what people need to understand is if the Cardinals at least have had issues with Vance Joseph for his scheme or just needing a linebacker to cover tight ends, uh, if Simmons can bring a lot of that, and I, I think he needs to be used for a, more than just that, I would prefer to have a you know DC who could figure that out without needing to spend the eighth overall pick. You're hoping that he can essentially become a type of a Derwin James, a Tyron Matthew person to add to a Buddha Baker. But the real revelation, I think, John, will be people don't understand how good this Cardinals offense is going to be next year. You're talking about with Kenyon Drake, at least with what he showed for last year, essentially winning people fantasy championships with his production. But when you're watching the Seattle game, you realize that a lot of the issues that stem from Arizona came from just protection off the edge at right tackle. Justin Murray, he was still at sometimes during the games, he was solid when you're talking about it, but he just wasn't, I think, consistent enough, or there's still a few too many times that Kyler was hurried. So if you upgrade to a Marcus Gilbert, if he's healthy, which he doesn't ever seem to be, or plug Josh Jones in there because he just ends up winning out the job. That impact, I think, is going to be a huge step forward for offering Kyler more time. The second thing is not having any type of a consistent outside deep threat 
who's able to go and catch those back shoulder fades or be able to get open to be able to break tackles for a big game. Adding a DeAndre Hopkins, when you talk about them as individual items, I mean, we talked about this all offseason. You need to either spend the eighth pick on a wide receiver, a number one, or spend it on an offensive tackle. I think the Cardinals got both of them this year, John, and I think people don't understand just how much better the Cardinals offense in year two is going to look with Kyler Murray. It's year two of Cliff. It's year two. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks who've taken that next step. And they added, I think, John, some extremely good talent at a value discounted price. I will say my close second that I have to say, and this isn't just the local prospect, but I think Eno Benjamin, part of it is just the heart that goes into the kid. It's one thing to basically like a running back as a prospect. It's another to, in your rivalry game, end up on uh, national highlights for blocking one of the opposing defenders all the way into the bench on your quarterback's running play. Like he blocked him all the way onto the sidelines, all over, boom, onto the bench. And a lot of U of A players were complaining, wanting a flag, wanting other stuff like that. The refs didn't throw anything. I'd like to think that they were just impressed that it happened. So sorry to any of the Wildcat listeners who are there, but here's hoping that Eno Benjamin can then just take a look at the Seahawks and view that as his new University of Arizona toward that rivalry and bring that same ferocity. He was kind of my close second, at least, I think, as far as for just picks, and it did feel like that that really set off the Cardinals offseason with a lovely flourish. Um, I think a lot of things will be left to under how the season goes to know if Steve Kime is going to be, you know, truly forgiven for all this. But for now, it's at least a fantastic first step. That'll about wrap it up for us here tonight. Um, thank you guys for tuning us in, tuning in to us throughout this entire draft process. We'll have a bit more of a breakdown coming up for you guys. We'll talk about the rest of the overall NFL where they've come away from the draft. Some surprising moves uh, that were taking place. Some shocking picks as well. And we'll also bring on uh, upcoming uh, Walter from Revenge of the Birds, a staff writer, Walter Mitchell. He'll be coming on to break down. He also is a huge fan of this Cardinals draft. Looking forward to having that as well. Uh, and then, John, we, it's going to be interesting to see what moves what happens overall we'll probably end up with a little bit of a break after that for the most part hopefully everyone can you know get some rest out of there get healthy hopefully be able to get to a place where we can figure out what society and how soon we are to getting back to all of that but in the meantime we'll sign off kind of as we always do at least john uh, could you let the listeners know where they can find your content as we kind of wrap up our draft season with this podcast yeah, it's sad, isn't it? Draft season is officially in the books. You can find our content, of course, here on the ROTV podcast. We'll try to stay as active as we can over the course of the next couple months to give you guys somewhat of a distraction. You can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Touchdown. And then, of course, we'll keep plugging away on uh, revengeofthebirds.com. I just posted an article today, uh, what free agents make sense for the Cardinals post-draft. And perhaps we'll get one or two uh, key signings here over the course of the next couple weeks. Give us something to talk about. The Cardinals still need help at a number of positions in terms of depth. Blake, where can they find your content? Yeah, when I'm not watching Eno Benjamin highlights or imagining him running behind a guy like Josh Jones, uh, you'll be able to find me at BlakeMurphy7 on Twitter. I'll be happy to go and talk any type of Cardinals football. Hey, thanks again so much. It's been a fantastic draft season. It's been a fantastic draft by the Arizona Cardinals. We're all looking forward to seeing what's in store. Take care, everyone. We'll check in with you on the other side. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast.